0: hey ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the conspiracy farm as always jeffrey wilson right in shotgun with my guy here UFC Hall of Famer Pat Militich enjoying this summer summer afternoon and I am so stoked to finally have lined up uh, with our guest today there with our technical difficulties and her schedule being uh, a jet setting investigative report not jet setting I'm sorry that just sounds sounds way I don't know she's she's been doing the darn thing and she's been moving back and forth from Canada and Syria low these many years man we're, this is going to be an interesting conversation champ uh, before we get started also one to thank grip six.com for some of our awesome belts that they shot over to us yes. i happen to be rocking some of the grunt style t-shirts here gruntstyle.com you can check out some of their designer t-shirts as well um she's, boy
1: she's only the second person who's had boots on the ground in syria that we've had on the show and she has spent an awful lot of time over there and we're excited to talk to her because we've talked about this subject of syria and everything that's going on over there al-nusra isis who funded them uh, what's really going on, and she's got the scoop.
0: She definitely has the scoop. I believe, you, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you've been there six times, two times as a part of an international delegation, four times uh, as a part of your own, you know, your own expense, your own personal visa that you went over there. Uh, again, boots on the ground, not just in Syria, but in uh, Palestine as well, in Israel, and finding out what's going on in these crazy, crazy parts of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Eva Bartlett's joining us today. How are you?
2: hi I'm great thank you it is actually eight times
1: (laughs) that's like that's like when he you know when when I first was on one of his shows he said I was only a a one time world champion which I'm joking actually I've only been a one time world champion
0: (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I get my show prep wrong but at least you're here at least we can have this conversation again I'm so very stoked I mean so again the Syrian war this has been something that's been going on since what 2011 2012 um geez hundreds of thousands displaced tens Millions of displaced, ca- yeah
1: hundreds of thousands a half a million dead probably or more <laughs> so it's atrocious what's gone on over there and
0: but with your background, I really wanted to get into you, like how do you, I mean, again, we had on a guest yesterday, and it's, it's interesting to see, to, to chat with people who are cut from a very different cloth than most of us, and, you know, what, what is your background in, in reporting, you know, Canadian reporter, like I said, boots on the ground in Syria and Palestine, what, you know, what, what, what did the bug bite you to kind of get into this line of work? Because it is very dangerous.
2: Um, it bit me late in life. I was basically, I've said this in a number of interviews, so I'll try to summarize it more quickly and succinctly, but I was teaching English in South Korea, paying off my debts for having gone to university. And um, eventually at some point started becoming interested in the news and started listening to news on, on internet, which I had in my apartment for the first time ever for me. And, um, at that time in, in around, I think it was 2004, the focus was of course on Palestine and the Intifada. And uh, I was so ignorant that I didn't even know anything about Palestine. I'd never heard anything about Palestine. So I think because of my lack of um, awareness or lack of any sort of, um, you know, pre-judgment, what I was hearing and reading about Palestine um, really shocked me. And it was kind of the the thing that instigated me actually wanting to go to Palestine. And then from there, it's just kind of an onward struggle. Because once you see the injustices that Palestinians endure on a daily basis, horrific things that most of us just can't imagine. Once you see that and you've, you've lived with the Palestinians or you've lived with the people in question, it's very hard, I think, for most normal empathetic people to just turn off.
0: Without a doubt. And, I mean, and it's just the atrocities of really, I mean, I don't even know, like you said, going back to the Intifada and we can get, I definitely want to get into that a little bit. You know, <clears throat> it's something that we talk about often on this show and I really kind of want you to elaborate a little bit The whether it's this, whether it's there's so many different stories that we talk about, the complete inversion of reality, what's actually happening and then what's reported to the world like you talked about. And I've seen other delegations come back and be like, it's not a freaking civil war. These aren't freedom fighters over there. This is if you don't mind, you know, from when you kind of first got boots on the ground to starting to realize that elaborate that elaborate on that, if you will, how. What's going on over there is in no way matching what we're seeing on TV.
2: Well, if you if you go to Syria and you talk with Syrians, um, almost every Syrian that I have met will not define themselves by their sect or their faith. They will say that they are Syrian. And, uh, you know, the respect for one another's faith is something that... Um, From my understanding, having traveled extensively throughout Syria, um, the respect for faiths and one another's, um, you know, beliefs is um, something that goes back, you know, it's very old in Syria and it's part of their identity. So this, um, what the West and Western media and, and Gulf media has tried to do is impose a sectarianism on Syria and impose, make make what's happening in Syria, first of all, they, they wrongly dubbed it an uprising or a civil war. And then they've um, also imposed sectarian um, language on what's happening in Syria. So they, they make it to be a Sunni-Shia conflict or a sunni Alawi conflict. Or, but if you go to Syria and you talk with Syrians, you'll find inevitably in a group of people, it's mixed and they're all friends and they either don't know one another's faith or if they do know, then they celebrate one another's holidays. Um, so I think that this has been done deliberately, this um, Western media, the propaganda, not just from media, but also from um, NGOs like Avaz or um, other NGOs propagating this idea that what's happening in Syria is an internal civil war and it's, it's sectarian um, because that, you know, confuses people in the West. They think, well, I think the average person, just like when it comes to Israel-Palestine, the average person will think, oh well that's just been going on forever, you know, we'll let them sort it out, when in fact It's documented through the U.S.'s own declassified documents that they've been wanting to instigate some sort of regime change, some change of government in Syria for decades. And what's happening in Syria has been premeditated. And even the former um, Qatari prime minister admitted to working with the Saudis, the Turks and the Americans in funding rebels in Syria, including, he said, even al-Qaeda. So clearly, with all that we know now, the hindsight of 2018, there's no way you can say it's a civil war. And I'm sorry, I'll just finish up here, but you just look like, look at a city like Damascus. Damascus is housing, if, if we want to talk about displaced people, the media always focuses on external refugees, and they, they, they lump them all in this one category, like they're all fleeing the Syrian government, when in fact many are leaving Syria for work. Or many are leaving due to the war, but not specifically necessarily all of them to the Syrian government. But the media doesn't talk about the at least six million, maybe seven million internal refugees. And so you have coastal cities like Latakia and Tartus housing Sunni refugees from Daraa or from um, Aleppo, and you have the same thing in Damascus. So if it was truly a civil war, there would be a lot more violence in these cities. There would be people actually fighting, sex fighting one another, and that's not what you have in Syria.
0: Well, and it's interesting because we, we allude to it oftentimes also on the show. I hate to keep saying that, but, you know, General Wesley Clark several years ago said when he went and visited the Pentagon, there were, I forget what it was, seven countries in five years or five countries in seven years. The timeline has been, you know, askew a little bit. But but Syria was on that hit list. And that's, to me, is like, you know, people say, you know, Trump, he's hitting strategic targets, et cetera. But to me, and I'm just me thinking, it's, um, it's not going to be removed from the hit list anytime soon because this is the regardless of the administration the kind of globalist agenda to take out Syria I think Iran is next what are your thoughts on that
2: yeah and um, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I I do believe that they thought the powers that be the, the the war machine that is behind this premeditated war in Syria they did believe that Syria would fall like unfortunately Libya fell very quickly um, but and to the contrary Syrians and this is again back to the whole. This is not a civil war. Syrians have come together to defend their land. So you look at the Syrian Arab Army, and it comprises Syrians of all, all faiths. And Syrians um, have really uh, done something remarkable in standing up to not just Western intervention, but the whole alliance, the the Axis of Evil, the true Axis of Evil, right, the, right. the American, British, French, Gulf, Turkish, Israeli alliance. Syrians have stood up to them, and they haven't. They haven't. They've lost. They've. I mean, when the media cites half a million dead, they don't take into account a, a significant proportion. I can't give you the number, but let's assume it's a third are defenders of Syria. They don't. They don't account for that. Syrians are giving their lives to protect their country.
1: So we can talk about, you know, who funded ISIS, Al Nusra, Al Qaeda. You know, whoever you want to call them. The weapons we know. Have been run in there by, you know, through Bulgaria. Some of the weapons, many of the weapons, have been transported there on um, Silkway Airlines. And what was the what was the ship's name?
0: Uh, the uh, the Marianne Danica. Danica. And
1: we know that we're we're pretty certain through documentation, obviously, that the Clinton State Department, Clapper through the CIA and other people in America, Saudi Arabia, and, and British intelligence were the folks that were NATO that were in NATO were the deliverers of the of the goods. So is that something that you've come to the same conclusion of because through documentation that we've found and other people that we've talked to um, who've been over there feel very strongly about that?
0: Well, and Eva, you're familiar with Diliana Gaitanjeva. I've, I've seen some of you retweet it. So we had her on, and yeah, she, she kind of blew the right. lid off of that when she found in Aleppo these weapons caches. So I, I'm assuming you kind of, like Pat says, kind of echo those same sentiments about the understanding of who's really behind a lot of this.
2: Absolutely, yes. I mean, I, I applaud her, her journalism and her writing and her courage for actually continuing to take this position, even though, as I understand, she lost her job um, for having reported this. But, um, yeah, I I didn't quite understand your question. Your your question is, who is giving these uh, different mercenaries, these terrorists in Syria, the weapons?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a 50,000-man Islamic army, if that's what we want to call them, if that's what the Western media wants to call them. They don't just appear out of nowhere. Obviously, they need an awful lot of funding, arming, training. And, you know, do you concur with all of that coming from Western sources, the people that I've mentioned?
2: Absolutely. And I would mention another journalist um, who is no longer with us, Serena Shim, And she was reporting from Turkey on, um, on weapons um, entering into Syria via NGO trucks, via aid trucks. And uh, she then had an untimely car accident, which is highly likely to have been Turkish intelligence. Um, as I'm sure you're aware of her story a day or two prior to her sudden death. She reported on press TV, for which she was a reporter, um, that she feared for her life, and she had contacted by Turkish intelligence um, and been threatened by them. And then suddenly she had this mysterious car accident. So, but she was also obviously reporting on this from the Turkish point.
1: And would it be safe to assume that Mossad, the Mossad group, has been the Israeli Mossad has helped out in this process also?
2: I would. I mean, I can't definitively prove that, but yeah. I mean, you have, um, of course, the Israeli open aid to terrorists, the um, supposed humanitarian aid to be terrorists in Israeli hospitals. And then you have even the UN um, uh, DOF, UNDOF, in the occupied Syrian Golan in the de escalation zone. You have the UNDOF observers um, themselves noting in reports the interaction between Israeli soldiers and, t- and terrorists in the occupied Syrian Golan.
0: Right. And, and then, I mean, honestly, you know, the, the the mantra of Mossad is by way of deception that shalt make war. So with them, you know, they really like like the CIA or any of these intelligence operations, plausible deniability is really kind of the order of the day. But I have seen in, you know, recent months, Trump has said he has shut down the financing of Al Qaeda, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems to me and I'm not boots on the ground like you were that the proxy um, war, if you will, is kind of losing its luster because. Western, not even Western media, but Russia, you know, Lavrov is saying like, hey, U.S. is funding these terrorists, everyone. And it seems like now the new proxy army has been shifted to Israel, as we've seen a lot of uh, airstrikes, it's really is-
1: airstrikes that yeah, are
0: supposedly yeah. on Iranian targets. But to me, this this, you know, to kill to kill two birds with one stone, you're to- talking about taking out targets in Syria that are Iranian linked. So you're almost looking at taking out both Syria and Iran. What are your thoughts about? I mean, Israel's role's kind of been a part of this as we just spoke of, but now their overt role as far as airstrikes are going and their role. Do you see it like, like I said, Syria's not going anywhere off the target. Iran's next. How do you see this kind of fulfilling here in the in the subsequent years to follow?
2: Well, I'll, I'll just address first um, the point about Israel targeting Syria, and Israel has, um, I believe it's well over a dozen times targeted Syria, and I'm, I'm referring to an article I wrote, which then referred to um, Israeli press and Netanyahu having admitted to having targeted Syria many times. Right. Um, but in on my last trip to Syria, I went to Kanaitra, which is in the southwest of Syria, and I went to a village called Hadar, and Hadar is notable because it's in an area that was until december 2017 surrounded on three sides by different terrorist factions primarily al-qaeda um and so Hadar was being attacked um, from the east uh, from the south and then of course it's um, just a few kilometers uh, from occupied palestine or israel and um the people in Hadar strongly believe that the attacks um, from the terrorist groups were coordinated with israel and it's notable that um Beyond the village of Hadar, there's a a mountain called Jebel Sheikh or Mount Hermon. And on top of that, there are Israeli observation posts. So they can see clearly the whole area of the Kunaitra area, including Hadar. And again, villagers in Hadar believe that Israel was coordinating, especially the November 3rd, 2017 attack, which um, Hadar defense forces and the Syrian army were able to repel. Um, But another note is we we must also remember that in um, Eastern Syria, you have whole swaths of land controlled um, by the U.S. and by their proxy forces, the SDF. And so this is, you know, the, although the Syrian army has restored peace to Ghouta and now all of Damascus with the elimination of terrorists in Yarmouk and Hadr al-Aswad, there's still this whole eastern area that the U.S. is controlling under the pretext of fighting ISIS. And i refer people to um, look at Syrian analysis. Syriana analysis, K. Um, I was just actually about an hour ago watching his latest report, and it's a very, it's 15 minutes long, and it details um, the gains of the Syrian army and allies in Syria, but also this significant presence of U.S. forces and SDF forces in eastern Syria and their proximity to ISIS, who they claim to be fighting. And ISIS is never attacking them. They're trying to attack the Syrian army, but right. never the U.S. So it's quite clear what that relationship is.
0: It's just insane. few, I remember reading a book called Mossad. Not to kind of dwell too much on the Israeli aspect, but there was an Israeli spy named Eli Cohen who basically got to the highest. He basically became the Syrian defense minister, right? Uh, and then they wound up discovering him and find out he was killed. But I mean, that's to I just say that to say like they're they're they can they can. That's how they roll. That's how they roll. They, you know, they they are definitely no joke.
1: So let's talk about reasons for Syria even
0: happening to begin with. Yeah,
1: in your you know. Humble opinion: Is it the pipelines? Is it just control of resources? Is it is it Assad's denial of using American dollars uh, or taking American dollars for oil, which you know, or or all of the above?
2: All, I believe it's all. I mean, certainly the pipelines are a major issue. And now I'm not, I'm not a financial expert. I, I don't get into the whole dynamics between the U.S. dollar and the Chinese um, currency or, or BRICS or whatever. I know other people would say that that's a very significant reason. And I'm not dismissing it at all. It's just not my, my forte. Sure. But I do believe, um, yeah, absolutely the pipeline. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, the U.S. has been plotting um, regime change against Syria for decades. So clearly... There are other factors at play: control of resources in the region, control of the region in you know in general um, to be I suppose an influence uh, against Russia, against Iran. But also, I think it's significant, um, especially people who support Palestine but are, are you know confused on Syria, who are anti-Syrian government because they think the Syrian government is doing all the things that the corporate media tells them. I think one very significant factor is Syria's support to resistance. Excuse me, resistance in the region. Uh, including hezbollah including Palestine and um, I mean it uh, I can't cite the report but I know I've read a report where Assad was basically said um, asked by again I forget which us representative you know stop supporting hezbollah stop supporting Palestinian resistance do this do that and you'll be fine and of course Syria did not comply to those um, demands and I think the other factor just to mention is that it is not part of the it does doesn't have the, it's not part of the international banking system, and it doesn't have international, um, you know, um, corporations in Syria.
1: Yeah, and if we look at the bigger chessboard of of all of the things that are going on globally, China, of course, Russia being on Assad's side, the the One Belt One Road, you know, they're you know building islands, and now we've got it's basically the central bank versus brick-controlled nations, brick banking nations. And if America and its allies can control the oil in the Middle East and control those regions, certainly that puts a huge, uh, throws a huge wrench in the gears of that, you know, that One Belt One Road. China, China's plans to control really the, the economics of the world and turn it into a brick, a brick world, a brick banking world. I think.
0: Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Hey, man, infinite apologies, infinite apologies. I'm not sure what went down there. We went downstairs and flipped the router a couple times, and it just came back. Um, okay, so we don't want to keep you, but obviously later on down the line, we would love to. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we just had a little bit of technical difficulty. We have Eva back right now. Um, I know she's got to get back to work. Um but we want to definitely have you back on another time. But for the last, for the little bit that we do have, you know, the recent news is these chemical attacks. Like I said, Syria is not being removed from the the, the bullseye or from the target at all. They seem to be, like you said, winning and you know advancing and getting back more of their land.
1: And the latest, the latest chemical attempt, attack came right after Trump announced that he wanted to pull all of our troops out of. Out of Syria, and then boom, suddenly a chemical attack.
0: So we see these these chemical attacks, and then we have organizations like the White Helmets. You have said that these guys were founded in 2003 by British ex-military officer trained in Turkey, $100 million from the U.K. and the U.S. These guys are winning Oscar uh, Oscar awards for basically faking things uh, in Syria. What are your thoughts on these, these fake chemical attacks and the white helmets and how they're used, like many things over there, as a propaganda piece for the war. Orchestrating
1: the actors laying on the ground, suffering yeah. from the attacks and everything else. Part yeah, of the
2: PSYOP, I of course. I, I think you had a slip of the tongue. You said 2003. I think you meant 2013. But yeah, what, I'm sorry, 13. You're correct. You are correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so let's, I guess, start with the chemical attacks, the alleged chemical attacks. Um, as you correctly noted, they allegedly occurred a week after Trump announced he was pulling his troops out of Syria. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the corporate media thinks the general public is so stupid, they're going to just completely buy this idea that, all right, whatever you think of the Syrian president, do you really think he's going to shoot himself in the feet? Do you really think he's right. going to take the moment where... By conventional means, the Syrian army is already winning and regained most of the eastern Ghouta. And take that moment right after Trump says we're leaving Syria to say, "Oh, wait, wait, wait! Don't leave. We're just going to commit a little c- chemical attack." And give you just another real quick play. atrocity against our identical. own people. Yeah, just but to get
1: you, get you me. to bomb us more, right? Pardon me. I, I was just saying, just oh, oh, it looks like looks like we're winning the war. Let's commit another atrocity to have our, ourselves attacked by Israel and America and everybody else.
2: Precisely, and then we know what transpired after that. Um, The coalition US, UK and France illegally again, illegally bombed Syria, and one of their targets was in Ambarthe, in in Damascus, and I believe it was 73 or 76 missiles um, heading for that target, not all the missiles struck the target. And the allegation was that this was a, um, a factory or a lab that was used to produce or that was involved in production of chemical weapons. Even if we wanted to believe that was the case, and it's not the case because the OPCW had already issued, I believe it was two um, reports or statements saying this facility did not have any sort of chemical weapons um, in, in the last year or so. But even if we want to believe the official narrative that this did have this building, this facility, They did have some chemical weapons, attacking it with 70-something plus, 70-plus missiles isn't the best idea because it is in the hub of Damascus. So if it had some sort of chemicals in it, you know, you would have killed untold numbers
1: of civilians. Yeah, you're spreading more chemical weapons by the explosions. Right.
2: The whole precept for bombing was humanitarian. But in any case, um, when I was in Syria, I went to Douma, which is the the town they allege was attacked with two chemical attacks. And um, one of the attacks they alleged was um, five to 700 meters from the underground hospital, which then allegedly treated um, victims. And um, so there would have been a, a lot more people um, killed. Well, anyway, let me get into the hospital. When I went to the hospital, I talked with a medical student named Marwan Jabber, and he specifically said he was there that day. He came in um, after the patients were brought in to the, the emergency room, and he said it was a state of chaos. Um, Somebody, some people came in that were not known to the hospital staff and they're screaming about chemical weapons. And they started hosing people down, as we know from these videos, that were put out by the White Helmets, which are not the most um, credible or trustworthy organization. Right. Um, and, and then he said that hospital staff very quickly realized, well, we're not seeing um, patients that are exhibiting any signs of chemical attacks. And so they stopped the hosing down and they went back to treating the patients for normal shelling um, issues and respiratory issues from having been in basements. And so he, did, he, he clearly said no one died in the hospital from those alleged victims that were allegedly chemically gassed. And none of the hospital staff, um, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, had any health issues that they would have had were they treating um, patients that were um, exposed to toxic chemicals.
0: I remember you saying that in a video, none of the symptoms that they presented were consistent with, like you said, respiratory or things that were were chlorine or sulfur, whatever chemicals they used. You're right.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, he said there was no foaming at the mouth. Of course, we've seen in another White Helmet video that they showed um, dead Syrians that look like they have foam in the mouth. We don't.
1: More technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen. You can see the yellow bars up above.
0: Yeah. You get more flack when you're right over the target, ladies and gentlemen. We are seeing it today.
1: Well, you know, I had a question for her that wanted, I wanted to ask. You know, is Trump on to this? Does he understand? Is Mattis, is Mattis educating him to the truth? And are the targets that they're hitting just simply to appease the globalists?
0: And That's like you said, they've, they've given Russia advance notice in certain instances. Before they've hit, pl- hit places. And
1: I don't know why my internet is going down, folks, but it... I've never had problems like this in a time when there are no
0: storms, anything like that. It looks like we've got... Looks like we got her back, maybe. We'll see. Possibly. Wow. She's probably like, to hell with these guys. Oh, nope. Internet's back down. No internet access. Wow.
1: So... Anyway, folks,
0: well, we we're, apologize. Yeah, we are definitely apologize unreservedly. We are going to, um, as we have talked off air uh, before. And she
1: stated before that she's had problems with her. She Skype has been and her having Internet.
0: huge. Like I said, she just got back to. Uh, she's from Ontario. She just got back to Ontario very recently. Um, she said it's been very difficult for her to do interviews using her Skype. And when we called her on her Skype, this was not her Skype. This was her mobile Skype. Her Skype was completely uh, jacked you, you up. Even, yeah, her her mic was overmodulated. So she's going to get back to work, ladies and gentlemen. We why are- is it?
1: Why is it just the people that we're interviewing about touchy subjects having problems with their Skype?
0: Well, we had some too. I, mean, I guess because we're doing the interviews. Yeah, like again, man. We've talked about you. You get the most flack when you are right over the target. And this is a very third rail type subject, man. We didn't quite be- get her final analysis of what she thinks is the larger end game in this. But as we've talked about many times on the show, you know, I, I think the globalists, whatever you want to call them, the architects of society in the world, they're looking for more war and destruction. Syria is definitely on the plate. Iran's on the plate. They want to encircle Russia. And China fir- definitely in the mix the too. The first
1: time that we lost her when I was talking about brick nation versus central banking nations. China, Russia, you know, and, and even Brazil has done business with China and Russia with, you know, oil trade and other things like that in their own currencies to avoid the American dollar. So is it is that a part of it? You know, that's, that's the thing is...
0: Well, like you said, it's all of the above. It's a it's pretty multifaceted. From the, the economics, pipelines, the, the pipelines. That yeah, run, you know the the Saudis want to run. Well, and so, something I that. wanted to touch on, you know, as we continue, like I said, Israel's obviously a big part of this, but the proxy war and what was going on a couple of weeks ago. I really wanted to talk to her about about the border clashes with the Israeli forces and Palestinians. <clears throat> and in Western news, they kept saying this is Hamas, this is Hamas sending these people out there just to basically commit terrorist attacks. And there might be a percentage of that that's actually happening. But you know, you got to understand these people have had you know atrocities inflicted upon them since 1947 now have they conflicted or they inflicted some some terror and stuff back absolutely but as it relates well, to but him-
1: here's the thing here's the the thing is that when you look at a lot of the the palestinians and many of them are christians many who many of whom have, have fled that area i mean i've got palestinian friends who are christian uh, who came from that part of the world, and they're stuck in between the whole thing. They're they're losing.
0: Well, it, it almost know. goes back to what she's saying. It's this false narrative of it's all sectarian. When honestly, man, Pat, like we talked about, we're just like we, you know, we just want life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Assad for each other. let
1: Christians and Muslim let people live as they wanted to live. They they keep fanning the flames of this
0: this civil war business. But uh, like I was going to say, as it relates to to Hamas, people don't necessarily realize after the first and second intifada in the mid 80s, Israel helped to create Hamas right. as as a proxy force against the PLO and Yasser Arafat at the time, and so they helped that metastasize into the, the freaking lethal monster that it is. And then when they decided to have free elections, the Palestinians voted for Hamas as the political wing, and then the, you know Israelis started taking them out. So there, you know, again, by way of deception, thou shalt make war. There is so much you know fuckery going on, man. The psyop is so sophisticated, and like she said, and like we said in the beginning, the complete inversion of reality that's taking place. That it. It's a civil war. These freedom fighters are X, Y, Z. And I didn't get a chance to, to ask her about the stat. You've mentioned numerous times on the show the almost 20,000 Syrian kids that have had their organs harvested just in Syria since 2004. And this is a byproduct of war, obviously. So it really sucks. We couldn't finish our conversation with Canadian journalist Eva Bartlett, but we are going to get her back on as soon as the interweb gets its shit together and leaves us alone while we this try is, to do our show. This is be
1: abbreviated version of our episode, but you know what? We still got a lot of good information from Eva and it's going to serve our Serve our viewers well, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, just a little bit of insight and kind of what the larger perspective I want people to get basically from this episode and what's going on in Syria is like we talk about all the time, Pat. Nothing is as it seems. The media and
1: is lying to you. There, it's, the
0: media is lying to you, and it's not a civil war. Uh, you know, you have a lot of people over there who, even though Assad's not perfect, they, they have his back way against these ISIS, al-Nusra, whatever freedom fighters that John going-
1: McCain went over and shook hands with and did the final dealings to get them the weapons.
0: And they're over there committing some serious, serious atrocities against men, women, children, you name it. And the white helmets, again, another aspect of the sophistication of the PSYOP. These guys are getting, they're on the Oscars, man. People are sitting there freaking, you know. Yeah,
1: one minute there's a picture of them holding weapons without their white helmets, and then the next picture, they're helping people who are suffering from a chemical a false flag chemical attack with their white helmets and uniforms on and it's the same guys
0: yeah i mean the, the, the one video i saw they basically were like paused like and then they're like action and then they started acting like they were you know foaming at the mouth and acting like they were saving them it was just complete crack of shit like right in front of your eyes a manufactured crisis that uh again over here in the west it seems like you know we're conspiracy theorists for bringing that up and in fact it's actually happening as we heard from uh canadian journalist eva bartlett
1: well you know um we're not uh we're not wealthy media individuals. No, we have no axe to grind. We're, we're not, not gaining un- anything from this. No, we're not. That's the whole point. We're not the... Look, if you want to pay me a couple million dollars a year to <laughs> feed people bullshit like Matt Lauer was for years and right. a lot of these other people on, on network TV, look, I'll feed them the shit, okay? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll feed them the bullshit <laughs> are you, telling you really me t- want me are to. Are you telling
0: me Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, was right that everyone has a price? Are you kidding me? I might have a price. No. I don't know. Hogwash. Well, you right speak- now
1: my price is zero because we... Are not bringing in any money. We do this in our pastime, right?
0: We do this kind of as a hobby right now. We got some, we got some little scraps coming in, but I'm telling you, I think you,
1: we're more talented than free.
0: I think so. I, and think, I, I we're think slightly I think,
1: more talented. I than think free. that's
0: going to start catching on, sir. As yeah, we've got some yeah. conversation with sponsors, we got a possible studio coming up here in the subsequent weeks. I've got kids to feed. You do too. I do. You know, we'd love some donations. I, you know, I, no one else is going to support my crack habit, so please, farmers, help me out. <laughs> I joke. I joke, man. We got some cool stuff lined up conspiracy for the conspiracy we- crack. <laughs> yeah, the info is the crack, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Next week, man, we got a we got an awesome lawyer coming on that is going to be helping. Michael
1: Lynch, who was with the Levin Law Group, in his I tell you what, the Levin Law Group was the one that took out Big Tobacco for two hundred and fifty six billion dollars in that class action lawsuit. They have smashed several um, large pharmaceutical companies on actually many occasions. Michael Lynch. One of the most entertaining guys you'll ever talk to. Sweet, and uh, looks his, like Jesus. His conversation. I'll let him tell it about the the when we were in California for Affliction, Fedor versus Arlovsky, and we're sitting on some couches and some pharmaceutical reps were around there because it was a big convention. And Michael Lynch had a nice conversation with uh, one of the fine young pharmaceutical reps, a young lady who he shook his, you know, rubbed his hands together like this after he learned who they were and said, "You built my house for me." <laughs> That's hilarious. That's how good of, of, of an attorney Michael Lynch is, and he's going to break down the lawsuit against Weinstein, Disney, uh, Disney,
0: the Weinstein Grimm group, X. yeah. And it's going to be going to be interesting, and it's, and it's not just some criminal shit that's you know individual criminal stuff. We're talking a RICO indictment, and RICO that deal that's that's criminal what they use, That's what they use when they would take down the mafia for running criminal enterprises. You're exactly right. So. Whoa! The swamp might be getting drained after all. We yep, we yep. shall see. Again, ladies and gentlemen, infinite apologies for you know our abbreviated conversation with Miss Eva Bartlett, and we're definitely going to get her back on because I think this is definitely a relevant conversation. I don't think Syria is going anywhere. I think Iran's next on the table, and I think it's very helpful for us to get insight from individuals like her to help. Uh, the
1: language certainly from everyone around the world is that Iran is next. They've been saying, for sure. that, and we've known that all along. Yeah.
0: But. It took
1: time to get to Iran.
0: It did, and it's going to take a little bit more time because Syria obviously was a harder nut to crack than they think. But uh, again, Syria
1: was to draw the Iranians into it, into the conflict for
0: sure, and the Russians and the Russians, and the Russians. as we know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, thanks again, everybody. Thank you, Pat Milichich, for another awesome episode. Next week, Michael Lynch. We're going to talk about the RICO investigation. We got another individual, Mitchell Gerber, is going to come on and talk about organ harvesting in china and we have just a a multitude of fantastic guests coming up here in the next subsequent weeks Um, i think we got something lined up with sam Tripley and eddie bravo quite possibly next week so uh we will see ladies and gentlemen again apologies but uh you know how it always is stay tuned there will always be more peace guys